The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. One of the great things that I've learned in my sobriety before my MS diagnosis is about gratitude. And so I've been trying to live in gratitude for two years with my sobriety. And that's made it a lot easier. I healed wounds with my kids and taught them how to like talk about their feelings and stuff before I got sick. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? A study with people who considered themselves in drug or alcohol recovery conducted in 2019 at Mass General revealed that more than a third of those who participated in the study also suffered from chronic physical disease. In Carolina Recovery Center website, it points out that substance abuse is present in up to 19% of MS patients, and it can trigger depression, mood swings, and a myriad of other mental health problems. The site also mentions a significant positive association between alcohol use disorders and MS, especially in men. Even still, they indicate there is also an increased risk for developing MS-related flares in people who abuse alcohol or have a dependency on it. My guest today, her name is Mikey. She's been married for now the second time in November of 2020. She opened a nonprofit in July of 2021 and diagnosed with MS in August of 2021. So yeah, there's a lot on her plate. This mother of two has been sober though for two years and has every intention of maintaining that sobriety. Please welcome Mikey to the show. Let's chat it up. Mikey, how are you today? I'm great and I'm already choked up. This is going to be good. (laughs) Okay. We're going to be good. We're going to have the best show because we're going to talk about how awesome you are and what a thriver you are and that's why you're here today. So that I got to say... Just congratulations on the two years of sobriety. I am not in your shoes. I cannot say that I'm in those shoes, but I can imagine that it's it hasn't been easy. As soon as I found out that it was definitely MS, I still, I, I know I'm still an alcoholic because one of my first thoughts was, oh my God, I could use a drink, but yes. <laughs> as many of us say that, right? <laughs> as soon as we got diagnosed, I think I, what happened that, well, I was in the hospital when that happened, but I, I think the first thing that I asked the physician when they came to like do the consultation afterwards is can I drink (laughs) yes because you know I want to go home and have a glass of wine for crying out loud yes and I've had symptoms that I can now attribute to MS for years but it was always just it was something else it's because of this so 
I was self-medicating with alcohol for a lot of these problems. And I had had a fall back in 2013. It was right after my first wedding. I fell down some stairs at work and I hit the base of my skull on like the edge of a staircase. From that, I had occipital neuralgia. I had damage to my occipital nerve. So I had a chronic headache starting that day. I've never had no headache since then. So I was in a cervical collar with that for a while. But ever since that injury, like things just weren't right. So like one of my theories is that that kind of like kicked it. And that's like, I started having like odd numbness in certain areas. And they were like, oh, it's just nerve damage. It's just nerve damage from your fall. And they were putting me on all these medications. And I was very much drinking because I had just gotten married. I was a new stepmom. I ran a group home for people with autism at the time as well. I worked doing that for 10 years. Let's move into your diagnosis story and then we can backtrack and see how some things might have related to that. So you were diagnosed very recently. Tell us a little bit about how that went for you. Throughout the pandemic was doing yoga at home just to keep my body moving. And my my son was even doing it with me regularly, a little seven-year-old getting all flexible. But I had started to notice doing certain poses that my vision would just go white out of nowhere and it would it would almost be like a lightning strike but it wouldn't fade you know how like the brightness of a lightning strike and I would feel very hot and disoriented and it was only when I would have my head tipped back so I was like it's got to be from my accident so I she was like all right well you know you haven't had any scans done or imaging from your neck injury in a few years so let's take a look at them so that's they saw lesions and some that would have explained a lot of other things from even as back even as far back as like when I was 24 I was having issues so and how old are you now? I am 38. I just turned 38 in December. So you're doing the yoga and you're having this vision problem. So what other kinds of things were happening? Well, then it started, I wasn't able to stand up straight anymore because as soon as I would, it was like my my right side is what's more affected. And as soon as I would stand up straight, it's like it would feel like static coursing through my body. And again, I was like, well, that... It's like a pinch nerve. It's just a pinch nerve. It's fine. It, it wasn't a pinch nerve. I have lesions on my spinal cord and I had to have two spinal taps. I was scheduled with this great MS specialist neurologist around here. He's wonderful. He's got a great record. So I, I'm excited. And the first time I meet this guy, we're talking things over and he's actually listening to me. He's not looking at me like I'm crazy when I'm talking about my symptoms. I'm I'm so looking forward to it. And he's like, I will be the one that does your spinal tap. Okay, cool. I trust you. Well, then they didn't schedule it for a while because of COVID protocols and they kept having to push things back. So by the time I could get scheduled and in there, it wasn't my doctor. It was a completely different doctor in the department. A brand new resident did my initial spinal tap. I threw up all over myself. There were four, four punctures into my spine. I threw up all over myself and they didn't get a sample. And I was like, I, 
I was gone. So my husband's yelling at them like, you need to stop. You can't keep going. And in between attempts, even the resident had left the room because I was upsetting him with my crying and screaming. So and when he was when he was coming back in the room, the the like real doctor with experience was like, well, he's only done one of these before and he really needs to learn this. So do you mind if he actually comes back in the room? And I'm thinking, okay, so like you're going to do it then and he's going to watch. Okay, yeah. All right. If he needs to be in here. No, this guy that looks like he's maybe 24 sits back down behind me and that's when I had thrown up. So I had to have it done twice. The second time I I had to go back and they had to do it in the imaging department so they could find the right spot. And so did you ever get like the huge headache that occurs after it or anything? Oh, yes. Both times, actually. I I was in the ER the night of the first attempt. I went to a different hospital to their ER because I was still throwing up all over myself and couldn't like do anything. So... My husband had quite the argument with the on-call neurologist. They hung up on each other at various times. And then finally I went to the ER. Um, and by then I couldn't move. Uh, all of my limbs were like tucked up and tight like this. I couldn't mess. Yes. Just debilitating. I can't imagine what you went through because that is, I've never heard of that before and how unlucky. So I I need to extend my heart to you because that is a terrible experience and it just is pretty recent. So after that, I mean, it sounds like they diagnosed you after they were able to get some fluid. So what were the next steps? What, What kinds of things did you hear? What did you do next? I got the electronic results. It said all the things, you know, indicative of multiple sclerosis. So I messaged my doctor through the like secure medical server thing. And I said, so do I have MS or is it something else? He messaged back. He said, yeah, looking at it, you do. You have MS. Okay. So you have your diagnosis, right? And so... Like we were saying earlier, the first thing you want to do is go have a drink. A hundred percent. So how did you, how did you get your mind right so that you could maintain your sobriety? I cried. That was the first thing I did, of course. And my husband is super supportive. He's probably the most emotionally mature human I've ever been this close to because he has been from the very start telling me to listen to my body, you know, don't overdo it. I'm here for you. And I mean, he's, he's bathed me when it's been bad. So, but he immediately reminded me cause he's, he's done the 12 steps. He's also in him in his recovery. Um, he was an opioid addict for over a decade, but he got sober out in California. We're here in central Pennsylvania. He got sober out in California where they taught him how to use medical cannabis in his recovery as a harm reduction. So I am now also a medical cannabis patient and use it to help with some of my muscle spasms and my pain and so that I can sleep because I don't know about you, but MS has wrecked my sleep. And it's so important. Sleep is one of the pillars of how you need to take care of yourself, especially when you have MS. And so if you're not sleeping well, then that's, you know, not going to help at all. I know I have a sleep disorder, so yeah. I use a CPAP machine to help me sleep. 
But during the COVID, I haven't been able to use it because I've been so stuffed up. And so I'm just wrecked right now. I'm sleeping. My patterns are all off and I got to kind of regroup. Is that similar to what you're feeling? Well, like the sensations through my body will keep me awake. I use my cannabis to help me sleep now. And that's amazing. I've always been a very heavy sleeper. So when I couldn't sleep, it was, what, what is this? Like, this is, this is insomnia. How, how do you deal with this? Yeah. MS is really, it's, it's robbed me of being able to just fall asleep as soon as I hit the pillow. So I know that you have identified compassion and trust as core values of yours. How do you lean? I I mean, I know that this is not a simple answer um, to any of this because you're dealing with lots of stuff, but I can imagine you've done some things to help um, yourself through this. So Maybe um, you could share with us a little bit about how you use those core values to deal with both your autoimmune disease and your addiction. The compassion part, especially, it helps me that I can help other people and that through compassion and empathy, I can relate to people that have been through almost anything because I have those lived experiences I've been through a lot. My life was not perfect even long before MS came into the picture. So I always try to imagine what led somebody else to make the mistakes that they make and then the lessons that they learn from them. So my husband and I over the summer opened this nonprofit meeting center here in Bloomsburg. We hold support group meetings for our sobriety. It helps us stay sober to have their people with chronic illness. And we can kind of compare notes about like, well, how are you handling COVID? How are you handling isolation? How are you handling everything? And we can all relate to each other and have compassion and know that we're not alone. Even if we feel it, even if nobody else is exactly like us, we can connect with something. And I think that compassion piece is important not only to have compassion for others, but to have compassion for yourself. Because look, I'm not a perfect human being and I need to have that forgiveness and compassion and grace when I screw up. And so I think that that could be a pretty powerful tool. Being able to look at look at yourself through the lens of somebody else, like you're doing your best and you have to cut yourself a break. And I love spoon theory for that as well. Like I need to save some of these spoons because I have kids. I have a husband. I have, I have pets that I, they deserve parts of me too. So I need to budget these things for me and for them. Especially you're raising kids. Yeah. And so throw that into the mix. I mean, the compassion you must have to put forward to be so patient with them and to be able to deal with your own stuff and take a breath and recognize, okay, I need something else right now or whatever it is that I'm sure, gosh, compassion is such a big, big, just vision of what it could possibly be. I love that you chose this one and I think it is super fitting for your needs. So I'm glad that you're living into that. I'm sure you have bad days. Absolutely. But you have to have compassion even on your bad day. One of the great things that I've learned in my sobriety before my MS diagnosis 
is about gratitude. And so I've been trying to live in gratitude for two years with my sobriety. And that's made it a lot easier. I healed wounds with my kids and taught them how to like talk about their feelings and stuff before I got sick. So I could talk to them like a person, like mama's just tired. So, you know, how about we just have a quiet movie night instead of going outside to play because I can't right now. My oldest, I didn't give birth to him. He's my uh, first husband's oldest child, but I raised him since he was seven. My first husband still allows that. My boys are brothers. We don't say half brothers. That's a really unique and special situation, Mikey. How old is he now, the oldest? Um, He's 18. He's going to be 19 in April. Okay. So he is an adult and I'm sure that he is supportive of you and your needs as well. I'm just so proud of him. He's such a good young adult. He's made the choice as a teenager to not abuse substances. He doesn't have any interest in drinking. He has no interest in smoking pot. He saw me <laughs> in my addiction and some of the not so great mom moments. But like through my sobriety, we've been able to talk about that like as an adult. And he understands and he's forgiven me which was so important. Huge. Forgiveness is such a huge step, right? Since he's been able to apply that compassion to you in his and your relationship, it's quite a dynamic thing. I'm so happy you're here sharing this story with us. I am sure so many of the people listening can really relate um, on so many levels. And, you know, there were times in my life when I drank to excess. A lot of us do. It's it's a it's a very American thing. <laughs> and that's how we deal with a lot of stuff. You had a bad day, you go get a drink. It's it's so like acceptable. When you change your relationship with a substance that is basically the the core reason for socialization in your life, it breaks a lot of those relationships. Like the <laughs> the mommy wine thing is huge. And my girlfriends and I, we all of our kids would play together and we would drink. And we thought nothing of driving home with our kids after the play date. Looking back on it now, I'm appalled at the things that I was just like, I have three glasses of wine. I'm fine. When now looking back on it, I was definitely impaired. And I'm so lucky that I never got pulled over. I never hurt anybody because I, I just can't imagine how <laughs> like that has to feel as a compassionate person, as an em empathetic person to have that something like that on your conscience. So that that thought still keeps me sober. So when was the point where you noticed that it was too much, that that there was too much drinking going on? I think I was in denial about it for a while. I was still in my first marriage basically just roommates. And he was a bar manager. So he worked basically from the time I got out of my day job, he went to work. And then I would already be asleep when he got home at three o'clock in the morning from closing a bar. Because I was a single parent almost every single night, I would get home and I would make these giant like to-go cup drink cocktails. And as soon as I got out of work, I would start drinking. I couldn't take the kids anywhere. Because if I was home and drinking, I wasn't going slow, but I also wasn't going to go anywhere. 
But if I went to like a girlfriend's house and spent an entire Saturday afternoon having a cookout and letting the kids play, as soon as the sun goes down, I'm driving myself back home with my children in the car. And my oldest saw that up until he was 15. So he was very much aware of what was going on. And I think that scared him enough. My ex-husband was he would see how much I would go through when I would drink at home because the empty box wines would pick up a great big box wine every Friday and that would be gone. Great big handles of vodka by myself, all gone. And when that hard seltzer came out, I would then mix the hard seltzer with vodka. My mental health, I had always kind of struggled with it. When my son was born, I had post uh, postpartum depression. And that lasted until he was three. And I actually had to go inpatient for a 72 hour hold because I was going to hurt myself. I realized that I was starting to get back into a depressive episode with my drinking. And I didn't want it to go there because I was dealing with some other medical issues. I had an umbilical hernia that had to be operated on. And my doctors knew that I drank too much. But the surgeon told me that I had to be alcohol free before he would cut. Like they were going to test my blood before in the morning as soon as I got there. And if there was alcohol in my system, he was not going to do my operation. So after that surgery, was that it? Were you like, I just can't drink? I, I just didn't drink anymore. I wasn't working a program. I just was seeing how many days I could string together, basically. So... Like that was working for me. I was doing all right, but I was realizing things because as soon as you're not drinking away all of your problems, you kind of have to sit there and think about them. You've got like old trauma, longstanding mental illness and all kinds of other like issues in your brain. When you're finally sober and you're trying to figure out what's going on, you're reevaluating everything in your life. Um... And I realized how absolutely unhappy I was in my marriage. So I kind of struggled with that for a couple of months. We split. It took me a little while to move out of the house and get into an apartment. But it, as soon as I did and I was feeling so good and some of my friends were like, yay, you're getting divorced. You got your new apartment. Let's go out. I went to a beer festival that's actually held in the building behind where I am right now, Taming of the Brew. And it's a big fundraiser for the local theater company and everything. It's a great fundraiser. I wish I could go to it again, but I just know I can't. I used to go every year with my friends. So I relapsed that weekend. I made some awful choices and just kind of sat alone in my apartment. Like, what have I done? What am I doing? I can't do this and keep my bills paid and keep my job. I I. This is not how I can be. And this is literally just a couple of days after I met my current husband. <laughs> and he was, he's sober. So that was like his first thing in his profile. And I was like, hey, <laughs> what's up? You're sober. I can hang out with you. This is cool. Yeah, I would imagine that that helped a lot tremendously because you're going to do non, you know, sober like things. You have to find people and surround yourself with people that don't need to go to the bar after work every day, that don't need to have a drink if that's the kind of thing that you want to avoid, especially not working a program. Like if you're working the 12 steps, you're already surrounding yourself with 
with meetings and everything. I wasn't going to AA meetings. My dad is 30 years sober. So he was very much like, you can go to AA, you got this. Right. And it's hard to work on yourself. It's super difficult. So having all of these things together as a newly diagnosed MS person, what are you thinking right now? Like, are you going to be able to do all this? Do you feel like you are going to be able to use the tools that you've learned over this time to help you? I am doing my very best every day, but unfortunately, lately, my MS has kept me stranded at home. So I'm not even able to be here for most of the meetings. I haven't even been in the building in a couple of weeks. Okay. So what are you dealing with now in terms of your MS? A lot of mobility issues. I use a rollator. My cognition is so up and down and I'm I'm a mess most of the time. (laughs) Are you on a disease modifying therapy? I am. I'm on Tecfidera. I'm just starting to feel my feet again recently. That's a huge improvement. Are you doing any kind of physical therapy at all? I've just been trying to stretch as much as I can. Like this part of part of living in my gratitude is like I have anxiety and I have depression. So initially my brain always goes to worst case scenario. Like, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. Look at what you can't do anymore. So I'm constantly reminding myself, like, no, you can do this. It's just different. You can still do that. You just do it differently. And I'm trying to, like, pound that into my brain. (laughs) Because it's just like with any habit. If you make yourself talk to yourself in a loving, compassionate way, then you build that habit and you change your internal dialogue and you start forgiving yourself for things more. I love that. So, okay. In that respect, what brings you the most joy? What do you lean on for that? Painting. Oh, I had no idea. You have a talent. Share with us. The paintings behind me are mine. That is my self-portrait. I painted that stand-up stage for my husband this amazing friend that helped us when we first opened the meeting center. They painted that. And then I painted these because I love Bob's (laughs) Burgers. Hey, I love that because, you know, using that um, gift of creativity, really, I just feel, I think it's therapeutic. I'm really glad that that you have that outlet to to live into. Do you do that alone or with with your kids? What does that look like for you? For a while, we were holding a weekly arts and crafts group here. And like anybody that wanted to just stop in and like we have a great big art car, like canvas panels and paper and paint and everything that you can think of. There's uh, plaster of Paris and stuff. People can just come in and be creative for an hour. I initially wanted to do like guided painting, but I can't keep track of my own mind for that long. I'm not going (laughs) to. There's no way. There's a lot going on for you, and I'm so proud of what you've been able to accomplish in such a short period of time. You have a lot of stressors in your life, and you're really taking some pretty intuitive steps to try and relieve yourself of that through the gratitude, through talking to your kids like they're humans, through forgiveness, and now through this painting that you shared with us. I'm, I'm so proud of everything that you've been able to accomplish and where you've come from because- 
gosh, I, I just want to acknowledge that what you're doing is not easy. What you're doing is challenging. And you must be a very strong individual to be able to take all of those things and be able to manage it. And I love what you said, especially about taking it as on a daily basis. And if something isn't perfect today. I'm not beating myself up again tomorrow. When I wake up, it is a brand new day. Oh, exactly. And even if you you wake up in the first 10 minutes of your conscious day, just go straight down the toilet, you can reset your mind at any point. That's one of the biggest lessons that my husband has taught to me is about resetting your day. Don't let anything ruin your day because that's up to you. It's a choice. It is a choice. How you react to the, to the other person or the situation, that's in your brain, right? I can rise above this or I can live in the nasty and you know give it right back, but it's not worth it. And that's how I lived my life in addiction when I was drinking. I was taking all of that that hate and that anxiety and depression and just and I was living this miserable existence and I realized I don't want to be miserable <laughs> but it's up to me to change it. I love that. It's not up to anybody else. It's not my parents, it's not my kids, it's not my first husband, it's not any of my exes, it's me. It's empowering, no? It is yeah. so empowering to take charge of that, to realize that you do have control over it, When, especially when MS makes you feel like you're not keeping control over so many things. You absolutely can keep control of this. Tell people where they can find you if they want to reach out. You can find me through our nonprofit. It is MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. But if you just uh, look for at M-J-S-P-N-P-M-C-A. And that's how you'll find us on Instagram. That's how you'll find us on Facebook, on Twitter. And you can find me directly through that page. Pretty hard to miss. I'm the one with the pink dreads. <laughs> Pink so. funness is what it is. Pink funness. So all of yes. the, that information will be in the show notes, which will be available on the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. And there you can find all the resources to discover your core values too. Everybody listening, please keep thriving. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Edie. If you struggle with addiction, I urge you to call the National Drug and Alcohol Treatment Hotline at one 800 662 help. That's 1-800-662-4357. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving.